morning we would start with a little bit of a straw poll. And if your answer to any of my questions is yes, then you need to put your hand up. But before I start, I want to acknowledge that there are probably people here in the room who are either new to church or are just tipping, dipping their toes in church and like, oh, I don't even know if I want to partake in this. Do you know it's fine? Just you watch, you observe, and hopefully just enjoy this morning with us. So my first question is this. Who here has people in their lives who don't yet know Jesus? Good. We're on some common ground. Who here has people in their lives who don't know Jesus, but yet you would love them to know Jesus? Great. And who here would love to see the church grow? Great. (laughs) As a church, the first part of our vision is that we want to be a growing church. Why do we want to be a growing church? We don't want to be a growing church because that means all the seats are full. We want to be a growing church because we sung about the freedom that Jesus brings. We want to be a growing church because we want eternity to look different than it might look otherwise. We want to be a growing church because we want to see people come to know a living Savior. When we first arrived at City Church, as it was then, 15 years ago, there were about 100 adults in the room and about 20 children in the church. And it wasn't long after we arrived that Chuck and Taryn took over the leadership of the church. And it wasn't long after that that Archie and I uh, took over the kids' ministry in the church. And at that point, the church had started to grow. As Chuck and Taryn had taken over and brought their leadership, the church had started to grow. And it wasn't that people were coming from different churches. It was that as people were walking past the door, they were overcome with the shame and the guilt that they had in their lives, and they wanted something different. It was that children were bringing their friends who didn't know Jesus, who were bringing their parents, and those people were coming to know Jesus. And soon, this room was absolutely full. Every single chair was filled. It was right to the back. There was definitely not aisles this big. The balcony was absolutely packed. And to be honest with you, people were sitting on the floor because there was nowhere else for them to go. And in that time also, from the 20 children that we had, suddenly we had 25 zero to two-year-olds. And there wasn't a room downstairs that was big enough to hold those 25 two-year-olds plus the one-to-three ratios of adults. And in that moment, things had to change. The way that Archie and I had been doing the kids' ministry was we had all the team round to our house regularly, eating together, praying together, doing vision together, living life together. And Chuck and Taryn felt like the Lord was saying, now is a time to spread life together. Now is a time to start expressions of our church all across the city and the Shire. So suddenly, we had another site at Leadside Road, another site in Stonehaven, soon after that, another site in Ellen, and then in Verurri, etc., etc. We could no longer, one, fit everybody around our dining room table to do dinner with them, or two, we didn't even know half the people that were on our team. Things had to change. And so we appointed what we called Sight Kids Leaders, people to oversee the kids' ministry at each of the various locations. And this is what was happening in the church in Acts. In chapters 1 to 5, we see the church in Acts as an established church in Jerusalem. 
There was a little bit of opposition. But then we get to Acts chapter 6, and the missionary work of the church starts happening. And there was growing opposition. As a church, we're currently going through the book of Acts. And today we land in chapter 6. And like Catalyst Vineyard Church 14 years ago, the church had grown so much that change had to happen. So let's read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 12 together. So you can either turn to it in your Bible, swipe to it on your phones, and I think it should come up on the screen too. Sorry about my daughter's (laughs) water bottle this morning. Not quite as (laughs) elegant as it could be. Okay, let's read together. The choosing of the seven. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. What we see here is kingdom expansion. What we see here is the church growing. In Acts 6 verse 1, it says, The number of disciples were increasing. And then again in Acts verse 7, it says, the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And what I want to look at this morning is what it might look like when we see church growth, but also what we can do to be in the best place for church growth. And interestingly, as I was painting that picture of what this building was, and this isn't in my notes, I just felt like that is a picture of what could be here again. And I want your hearts to be stirred and encouraged about seeing this room absolutely full to bursting. Not with people that are already in churches. Not with people that are like, oh, maybe I'll try Catalyst Vineyard. They seem to be doing something different. But with people who come to know Jesus for the very first time. And I... This this isn't at all in my notes, but I just have this heart and this burning passion just to see those people out there that don't know him, that are going about their business, that are doing their shopping. Have you ever been outside of church on a Sunday and wondered what on earth people do? They're wandering aimlessly around shops and doing all sorts of things. There are hundreds and thousands and millions of people 
in this city who could be in here on a Sunday morning. Anyway, (laughs) I want to encourage you with that picture. The first thing that we see in this passage is this clash between these two groups. There are two groups of Jews. There are the Jews who were in the early church from the word go. They were the Arabic-speaking Hebraic Jews. And then there were the Grecian Jews or the Hellenistic Jews. And they were Jews that had come from elsewhere. Maybe they'd been traveling through and they were visiting for a few weeks or months. Or they were, um, had moved from a different area into the place. And what we see is that the um, Grecian Jews start complaining. When I was seven, I joined the brownies. Anyone else here was a brownie? Just a few of you. And I stayed there until I went up to guides. And when it was time to go to guides, my mum made this decision. I don't remember there being any conversation about it, but she decided I wasn't going to go to guides and that I was going to go to girls' brigade. Anyone here go to girls' brigade? Yeah, a few of you. Girls' brigade was literally just at the end of my road, and... um, It was also a Christian organization. Obviously, my mum must have known some people who sent their children there. So I turned up at age, whatever age you are when you go to guides, I don't know, 11 or something. And all these people had been together since the word go, since they were really little. They knew what was happening. They knew the roles that there were to do in the place. They knew each other. When there was any time to get into groups, they would all get into a group together. And I'd be sitting there thinking, oh, shall I go and be with them? Shall I not go and be with them? Just feeling really awkward and kind of, a little bit out of it. Don't get me wrong, they were very friendly. And I wonder whether there were two parts to that. First of all, there was their part of, who does she think she is coming in? We've been here since the word go. She's a brownie. She's a traitor. (laughs) What's she doing in this place? But then there was probably the other side of me feeling totally insecure and like, these guys have been together. They don't want me to come and join in with them. And I wonder whether that is something similar to what was happening in chapter 6. The Grecian Jews had started to complain. They were the newbies, and they felt like the Hebraic Jews were looking after their widows better than they were looking after their widows. You know what I mean, right? (laughs) You see, back then, it was the responsibility of the believers to look after the widows. In fact, they talked about the orphans and widows in in their video there. There was weekly, daily food collections, and the money was given out, but they'd started to complain. And what happened with those complaints was that it was taken to the leaders. It was taken to the 12, and then the 12 did what with it? They made a change. They decided that these seven people were going to oversee the distribution of the food. As the church grows, we can be sure that we'll see change. And some of us aren't very good with change. But what we know here is that change was good, that the reorganization was good. And how do we know that? Because after the seven were appointed, after the seven started doing what they were meant to do, it says in verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So my first point is that if we want to see kingdom expansion, if we want to see the church grow, if we want to see our friends come to know Jesus, we will expect to see change. And interestingly, I'm not good with change. 
like really not good with change. When I go on holiday, it takes me like two days to settle into being just in a different place. And I wonder whether there are some people here that maybe for you, change is a crippling thing. It's actually something that stops you moving into what you feel maybe God's calling you to do. And if that is you, we would really love to pray for you at the end of this service. Once the seven were appointed, they had to do something. After the change had happened, they had to do something. And that's my second point. They had to take their place. If we want to see kingdom expansion, we will see change, but we need to take our place. Isaac, my 12-year-old middle son, loves football. And he has loved football from pretty much as little as when he could start kicking a ball. And I have stood for many a day at the side of a freezing cold football pitch watching him and cheering him on, probably in the most embarrassing way ever. Anyway, what I have noticed is that children, however little they are, whether they're two, whether they're five, whether they're 12, whether they're 25, all of the people that play football just want to be the one that scores the goal. Is that right? I mean, you look at the pitch. On, if you ever watch football, which I do sometimes, not just my son's football, but professional football, and the celebration that happens when someone scores a goal is incredible. I mean, they slide on their knees. Everyone piles on top of them. Like, it's, it's the thing to do. If you play football, you've got to score the goal. But the truth of the matter is, when I watch my son playing football, when I watch this group of boys, it's not just about the goal, the goal scorer. Because it doesn't matter how many goals are scored if more goals are let in the other end. So the goalie, the defenders, the midfielders, the forwards and the strikers, I don't know whether I've got all that terminology right, probably not. They are all really important. In 1 Corinthians, verse tw- um, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses our bodies as an example of the importance of every single person in the church. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And in verse 15, now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would for not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, apart from it looking very peculiar, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, every one of you, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And it goes on. And what you need to hear this morning is that your gifts, that your skills, that your talents, that your personality is needed for kingdom growth. For the church to grow, for the kingdom to expand, you need to take your place. And I just felt challenged that I could probably do this here easier than I could do it at my own site, was that James and Tor need to be released to be able to do what they're called to do, to minister the word and pray. 
But that means that every single one of you needs to do the thing that God's called you to do. And it's not that what James and Tor is doing is more important. Not one bit. But you are an important part of the body. If you see that there's a gap in the rotor, fill it before they even know about it. So that they can do what God's called them to do, you need to do what God's called you to do. And if they weren't doing it, you'd all be up here doing the bit that they were meant to be doing. And I wondered as I was preparing for today whether some of you maybe don't feel needed Maybe some of you don't know what your place is. And again, we would just love to pray for you this morning. A few weeks ago, a dear lady from our church um, passed away. And uh, before she did, I visited her in Roxburgh House on numerous occasions. And there was one day I was sitting next to her. And I had this picture in my mind's eye of a bird cage with the door open and the bird flying free. And I thought, I wonder what that's about, Lord. It didn't feel like it was something to share with her because if it was about what I thought it might be about, that wasn't really going to encourage her in that moment necessarily. So I kept it to myself. I thought maybe it was just my overactive imagination. The very next day, I was at a Wren Collective concert in Glasgow. And as we were singing one of the songs, graphics as well as words were coming up on the screen. And I literally took a gasp because one of those graphics was a picture of a birdcage with a bird flying free. And I was like, oh, Lord, you definitely are speaking. And it wasn't until the moment when I sat with her as she took her very last breath, I realized what that was all about. It was about the freedom from the pain that she was suffering in her beautiful body, just like this beautiful birdcage. Her being released to be free. And why I'm telling you that story is that the man who was sitting at the back, or the lady who was sitting at the back, pressing the buttons at the Wren Collective concert, making sure that those slides came up on the screen, he probably thought, I'm doing a really practical job. How can the Lord use what I'm doing this evening. But actually, as a result of him pressing those buttons, I was able to share a message with hope with all the people at her funeral on Friday and all the people who watched from around the world online. Just because the role that you're doing in the church is a practical role doesn't mean that the Lord is not going to use it in the most supernatural way. By you taking your place we can see kingdom expansion. Stephen, he was doing a highly practical job. He was organizing the giving out of food to the widows among the church community. And I would imagine that if that was done today, there would have been a lot of spreadsheets and rotors involved. But in verse 8, we see that because this man, Stephen, was full of God's grace and power, it says that he saw miraculous signs and wonders. Don't underestimate your role. Don't underestimate your place. And don't compare. Having spoken about taking your place in the church, 
I also want to make sure that we don't neglect the fact that we also have to take our place in the world. Maybe the Lord has put you in your workplace to see kingdom expansion. Maybe he's asking you to run an alpha in your workplace. Maybe there's going to be conversations that you have at work or with your neighbors. Maybe God's placed you in a specific house with specific neighbors for such a time as this. And he wants to use that for kingdom expansion. Take your place. Take your place in this church, but take your place in this world. Funnily enough, as I was preparing for today, I had a sudden little nudge from the Lord. Maybe... It's that you feel like the Lord is asking you to plant a church and you're pushing that aside and saying, no, 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 that's not me. Maybe you need to take your place in Scotland. Maybe you need to take your place in England. Maybe you need to take your place in Australia. So my son keeps telling me is that we're meant to move to Australia. I don't think he's right. I think he just wants some nice, hot, sunny beaches. Anyway, take your place. And as you take your place, in Romans 12, in the message, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. So as we take our places, let's do it as an offering to God. And my third and final point is that if we want to see kingdom growth... We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we notice is that the seven who were chosen to do this highly practical job, in verse 5 it says, they were men full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And again it says in verse 8 about Stephen, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs amongst them. If we want to see kingdom expansion... We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And as I was coming here today, there were big puddles on the road. And I had a picture in my mind's eye of children jumping up and down and splashing in those puddles. And often when you splash in a puddle, it just goes above your welly boots and there's not much of a wet kind of on you. And then I remembered the moment when I saw a bus driving down the road in Blackburn. And in the road in Blackburn, there's like a big gully at the side where the water like fills. And there was someone walking alongside. And the the bus drove through this and the water sprayed, totally drenching them. And my prayer for us today is that we wouldn't just be have a little splash from the Holy Spirit that we can hardly notice, but that we would be drenched by the Holy Spirit so that we can see great signs and wonders. So I want to ask that question again, or those questions again. Who here has people in their lives who don't know Jesus yet? 
Who here has people in their lives that they would love to know Jesus? And who here wants to see the kingdom expand and the church grow? And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that you need to embrace change. That you need to take your place. And let's ask for more of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So just as the worship band come up to play, if you again this morning want to say, yes, that is me. I am committed to seeing kingdom expansion in this place. I am committed to see this room full of people who don't yet know Jesus, not just on the ground floor, but on the balcony in the aisles. I want to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see my friends who don't yet know Jesus know Jesus. Then I want to invite you this morning to come down the front, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and fill us. Let's just stand.